Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. This is the word of the Lord, church, where you say amen. 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 You may have a seat. I have a challenge for you this morning. Does anybody like challenges? Anyone? Robert Sebesta. Excellent. Thank you. Y'all are like, it's 830 in the morning, Michael. The challenge was just getting here. Well, uh, uh, another challenge for you this morning. This is the challenge. As I am preaching this morning, the challenge is to only think about how this sermon applies to you, not how this sermon applies to others. It's going to be tempting to think about how this sermon applies to your self-absorbed parent or your emotionally uh, immature coworker or your neighbor who is addicted to fill in the blank. But don't do it, don't do it. The challenge is to keep your mind just on how it applies to you. Now I think that this is a good practice at all times, but it is especially relevant to our passage this morning. If you are a guest with us, I want to say welcome uh, once again. My name is Michael Waldrop. I am the student minister here at the Round Rock Church of Christ, uh, which means I get to hang out with our really cool 6th through 12th graders, two of whom uh, are on stage this morning helping lead worship and doing a great job. Um, We have been in a series over the past few weeks called Turn. Uh, In this series, we have been looking at the book of Jonah and specifically how the book of Jonah helps us uh, be mindful of repentance, and especially how uh, repentance helps prepare us as we get close to Easter. And considering Easter is next week, uh, today is the final sermon in this series. So uh, if you have not already done so, I invite you to go ahead and turn to Jonah chapter 4. Uh, Jonah is in the Old Testament, which is the the first part of the Bible. Uh, It is before the book of Micah uh, and right after the book of Obadiah. Uh, Granted, Obadiah is just like one page, so I don't know if that's going to help you very much. Uh, Amos comes before Obadiah, so Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Um, Hopefully that will help you uh, find, find Jonah this morning. When we last left off in Jonah's story, uh, Zane preached to us last week about Jonah preaching this this half-hearted sermon to the city of Nineveh. The city of Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And as Zane mentioned, uh, Jonah preaches this like eight-word sermon. It's eight words in English. It's only five in Hebrew. It's kind of half-hearted eight-word sermon in which Jonah simply says this. He says, 40 more days, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And amazingly, this works. The Ninevites respond. The king of Nineveh proclaims that all the Ninevites, even the animals, cows, sheep, pet hamsters, Everything must fast in sackcloth and turn away from their evil ways. And it is here 
that our story picks up with the passage that we heard read just a few moments ago. God sees the Ninevites' response. God sees the Ninevites turn from their evil ways, and God has mercy on the Ninevites and does not do what he said he would do. He does not bring destruction on Nineveh. And that would seem like that's good news, but Jonah does not respond that way. Jonah responds with anger. In fact, he is furious. He tells God, this is why I ran away from Nineveh in the first place. For you are a compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, who does not bring calamity when he says he will. And last of all, he tells God that he is so upset by all of this that he wants God to take away his life. What is God's response? God asks him, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah gives no answer. I don't know about you, but... At first blush, I find myself a little annoyed by Jonah. He's kind of whiny, isn't he? I mean, he's kind of a Debbie Downer of a prophet. I mean, it's like, come on, man. You're so angered by God's mercy on Nineveh that, like, you want to die? I admit my first response to Jonah's behavior here is just to roll my eyes. Come on, man. You were being ridiculous. You were being mean. But after sitting with this text longer, I think Jonah's behavior makes more sense than I initially gave him credit for. And this is why. I believe Matt and Zane uh, emphasized this in uh, earlier sermons in this series. But let me, let me emphasize it just once more. As, as I said, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And Assyria was a country that's just northeast of Israel, and it was the dominant political power of that day. But Assyria was not just powerful, it was violent, it was cruel. The Assyrians made it a habit to terrorize vulnerable people groups all around them. As one Old Testament scholar puts it, Assyria's intentional terror campaign included public displays of human body parts, active slave marketing, and a public pride in their country's torture techniques. Assyria was a brutal country. And Israel was one of those people groups that Assyria had terrorized throughout the years, year after year. Israel victimized by this terror campaign that is based in the city of Nineveh. And it is to that brutal city that God sends Jonah. But I want us to get into Jonah's shoes even even more. So so I actually want to bring this, this story ahead in time. Imagine with me, if you will, that instead of God sending Jonah to Nineveh, God sends Jonah to Berlin, Germany in 1943 under the Nazi regime. And imagine, if you will, Jonah, a Jew, I will remind you, somehow walking into the middle of Berlin without being arrested, 
and telling Nazi Germany, 40 more days and Berlin will be overthrown. 40 more days and Berlin will be overthrown. And then amazingly, it works. Imagine, if you will, Hitler, the Hitler, repents in sackcloth and ashes, and he tells all of Germany, from, from Heinrich Himmler to every cow in a German field, we are going to repent, put on sackcloth, we have been evil, we need to turn back to God. Imagine that this happened and God sees this and God relents and God does not bring on them the destruction that he had promised. Now do you understand Jonah's anger a little bit better? Can't, can't you imagine Jonah responding, are you, God, are you kidding? I mean, over five million Jews, five million of my people, have been murdered by this regime. Some of them my relatives, some of them my friends. The Nazis put on some sacks, and that's it, God? No, God. How can there be no punishment for the incalculable pain that they have caused? Now, of course, that is not what happened at all, right? Hitler and Nazi Germany, they do not repent. They do not turn from their evil ways. And, and, I, and I do need to say, as, as bad as Assyria was, uh, they did nothing on the scale of the Holocaust. But I exaggerate to make the point. Imagining this hypothetical is helpful for us in understanding why Jonah responds the way he does to God's mercy for the Ninevites. Jonah's anger at God and his mercy suggests that Jonah thinks God is not being just. Jonah wants retribution for the hurt Nineveh has caused his people Israel. He believes that this would be the just thing for God to do. And when God does not respond in that way, Jonah is furious. And well, Jonah doesn't want to live anymore in a world governed by a seemingly unjust God. So Jonah's anger is understandable to me. But his anger is also forgetful. His anger is also forgetful. Because Jonah has forgotten that the Ninevites, like him, are creatures whom the Creator loves. Jonah has forgotten that God had chosen his people, the Israelites. Not just so the Israelites could feel privileged and special. Oh, look, we are the chosen people of God. No, God has chosen the Israelites that they would be a conduit of his deliverance and his life to all nations, including the Assyrians, including the Ninevites. And maybe most obviously in this book, Jonah has forgotten the mercy that he has received from God. Jonah has forgotten that God spared him from destruction like the Ninevites, despite his sin. Jonah and the Ninevites are not as different as Jonah would like to believe.
Jonah, like the Ninevites, acted against what God desired in the world. God called Jonah to go one direction. Jonah ran the complete opposite direction. And Jonah, like the Ninevites, just before his own destruction at sea, receives mercy from God as God sends a fish to save him from drowning in the ocean. God showed mercy to Jonah when he didn't have to, just as God showed mercy to the Ninevites when he didn't have to. But Jonah has forgotten the mercy he received. Or perhaps he never realized just how much mercy he did receive. Either way, Jonah's anger reveals his self-righteousness. Jonah's anger reveals his self-righteousness. The pastor Tim Keller uh, describes Jonah's uh, Jonah's attitude uh, somewhat sarcastically in this way. He says, Yes, of course Jonah needed mercy, but surely he wasn't on the same level as those evil Ninevites. Surely Jonah still had some spiritual merit. He still had some claims on God. Surely he he had lived good enough to, to be able to hold something up above God's head. In other words, Jonah was determined to feel superior to the Ninevites, but God was determined to remind him, the Ninevites are made in my image too, Jonah. There is no inferior and superior amongst you humans. There are just broken and beloved creatures. To steal a comment uh, from Zane's first sermon in this series, God will not play the game of good people and bad people. There are just people in need of a merciful God. The point I'm driving at this morning is this. That's, oh, I forgot to change that. There it is. Okay, Um, this is the point that I'm driving at this morning. Remembering that we are helpless without God's mercy empowers us to have mercy on our enemies. Remembering that we are helpless without God's mercy empowers us to have mercy on our enemies. So at this point, I want to check in. How are we doing with that challenge? How are we doing? Still focus just on yourself and how this sermon applies just to you or have your thoughts drifted? Just checking in. This story asks you and I a question. And I believe it asks us this question. Who do you not want God to show mercy to? Who do you not want God to show mercy to? I'd like for you to just take just a few moments to think on that question. Who do you find yourself really wanting to see suffer some form of retribution? Take just just 10 seconds or so and think on this question. So who do you not want God to show mercy to? The Taliban, maybe? Vladimir Putin? Donald Trump? Joe Biden? The alt-right or Antifa? Murderers? Drug dealers? 
Or maybe it's someone closer to home. Maybe it's that self-absorbed parent or that emotionally immature coworker or that neighbor who is addicted to fill in the blank. Let me be clear, I'm not saying that all the people or the groups on that list are innocent. They are not. And I'm not saying that justice in this world isn't important, for it is. But I am asking, do you feel like the people on that list need a whole lot more mercy than you do? Do you feel like the people on that list need a whole lot more mercy than you do? Because beneath the question of who we don't want God to show mercy to is another question. And that question is, who do you feel superior to? Who do you feel superior to? I know that at least in part my struggle to show compassion and mercy to other people is in part because I want to feel superior. And I'm convinced that we look for any and every excuse to feel superior to other people. I think that's part of why we like latch on to winning sports teams. Just another excuse, another reason that we can feel superior to other people. I, like Jonah, want to say, yeah, God, of course I need mercy, but surely, surely, God, I'm not on the level of those people who behave like that. They need a lot more mercy than me. And I end up forgetting that my very existence, the very breath that I just took in, is a grace of God. Every gift I have, every moment of life that I am given, any positive character trait that I may possess, it is all flowing out of God's grace to me. And for that reason, I'm not superior to any person including my enemies, including those who hurt me. <clears throat> but you know, I, I've got to be honest. I, I have not experienced a lot of hardship in my life, not, not on the scale of the Israelites being terrorized by the Assyrians, nothing like that. I, I've lived in many ways a privileged life. And so I'd like for you to hear from the words of someone who, who has gone through some, some really terrible trauma. I, I would like to share a story from the Dutch writer, uh, Corey Ten Boom. Uh, this is a famous story, and so many of you might have heard it before, uh, but it's a good story, and so I hope you won't mind hearing it again. Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy uh, were sent to a concentration camp called Ravensbrück for... Uh, helping hide Jews from the Nazis during World War II. Unfortunately, uh, Corey's uh, sister Betsy died in that concentration camp, uh, but Corey survived, uh, uh, survived the war. A few years after the war, in 1947, uh, Tim Boom uh, traveled to Germany and, and gave a talk on forgiveness. And after that talk, a man in the crowd came up to her, and she recognized him immediately. This man had been one of her guards while she was at Ravensbrook, this concentration camp. He didn't recognize her, uh, but she recognized him. So he walks up to her, and he, and he tells her what she already knows, that I, I was one of your guards, 
at Ravensbrück. But then he tells her that after the war, he became a Christian. And he has received God's forgiveness and mercy. And he stretches out his hand to her and asks if she will forgive him. And at this point, I'll use uh, Tin Boom's words from here. And, And note what she says almost right off the bat. And as I stood there, I whose sins had every day to be forgiven. I whose sins had every day to be forgiven. I could not shake his hand. Betsy had died in that place. How could this man erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but it seemed to me hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing that I had ever had to do. But I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my ears, to my eyes. (laughs) I forgive you, brother, I cried. I forgive you with all my heart. The story of Jonah asks us, can we remember that we have sins that, as Corey Ten Boom says, that are in need of being forgiven every single day? This is a hard thing to do, but can we see ourselves in our enemies? Can we see ourselves in our enemies? Or like Jonah, will we be blinded by our self-righteousness? I know that my failure to desire mercy for others is often rooted rooted in me forgetting the mercy that I have received. But who am I, the mercy recipient, to deny another the mercy, the same mercy that God has given me? For I too am prone to sin and ignorance, to violence and selfishness, I too am a Ninevite, relying on terror and power to get what I want. I too am Jonah, needing the mercy of God to save me like a giant fish, plucking me out of the ocean of cowardice and hatred and bitterness and sin. Yes, all the ingredients of my enemy's sin, if I'm honest, all those ingredients are in me as well. But this is the good news, that like Jonah and the Ninevites, I too am adored despite ignoring God's voice. I too am sought out despite running from him. I too am shown mercy despite my violence and cruelty. For Jesus has drawn me out of that ocean 
that I would have drowned in. Yes, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, I am saved by grace through faith. And this is not of myself. This is a gift from God. And therefore, I have no reason to boast. I have no reason to feel superior. God has done the saving. As we turn our attention to communion this morning, I invite you to come and receive from the God who longs to show you mercy. And I invite you to come and show mercy to those whom God desires to show mercy. So, uh, as we have done throughout this series, uh, we will take communion at the stations that are around the auditorium. As soon as I am done praying here in a moment, uh, you are welcome to head to one of those stations. Uh, also, uh, if you want to take a moment and collect your thoughts before you head to one of those stations, feel free to do that. Uh, also, if you need to be served in your seat, if you would, just raise your hand and uh, someone will bring uh, the, the trays to you. Uh, also, just so you know, uh, as we've done throughout this series, uh, there will be people in the back who can pray for you. We are going to sing, I believe it's four songs, I think, uh, after I am done praying here, just so you know how much time you have. Um, uh, but yeah, so people will be available in the back if you would like to receive prayer. Uh, it was very encouraging last week to see how many people uh, did go to the back to receive prayer. Uh, but it was also uh, super encouraging just to see how many of y'all just like leaned over and, and prayed over people sitting right next to you. So uh, whether, you, whether you go to the back uh, or you stay right where you are, uh, I hope that you will take the opportunity uh, to have someone intercede on your behalf this morning. To, uh, to pray for communion today, uh, I would like to use and, and slightly modify uh, a prayer from the Old Testament scholar James Bruckner. Uh, his, his prayer is uh, beautiful and it's rooted in the story of Jonah, and so I wanted to share it with you this morning. Uh, so if you would, uh, pray with me. Oh God, turn us into new people with a heart for your peace. We are like the Assyrians, boastful in power. Turn us to repentance for our reliance on terror. And God, we are like Jonah, hesitant to extend your deliverance to our enemies. Speak to us as we sit on the hillside in safety, that we might learn from you for all our decisions. O oh God, turn us towards repentance, that we might follow in the footsteps of your Son, who extended deliverance to all through his broken body and poured out blood. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.